On today's show, we have Brennan Lamy, the founder of Quill, a decentralized community-owned SQL database solution for data-intensive dApps and protocols. We're going to discuss details about the project, funding, and team, along with any plans on the roadmap. Brennan, thank you for joining us today. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. All right. Well, this might be a project that our listeners might not be familiar with and would obviously like to know what's happening. So why don't you give us an overview of what Quill does? Yeah. So, I mean, super 10,000 foot view. Quill, it's a decentralized SQL database. And so I guess just to really quickly break that down, as I'm sure a lot of listeners probably aren't too familiar with SQL databases. So when we're looking at, you know, Web2 and, you know, just like a traditional data storage, this is quite a bit of an oversimplification. But um, for the sake of the example, most data is stored in either file systems or databases. So, you know, file systems, they function like a folder on your computer where, you know, you can put files in, you can put files in different folders and then get them out if you know the name. And we have a lot of decentralized versions of this now. You know, there's IPFS and then, you know, built on top of that for instantization is Filecoin. There's Arweave as well, um, which is like, you know, a permanent file system. Um, but we're yet to see databases. And so how databases structure data in Web2, um, well, there's a variety of different databases. But the most common, somewhere between 60 and 70% of databases are called SQL, SQL, and uh, they store data in tables. And so like the best way to sort of visualize it would be like an Excel spreadsheet. There's rows and there's columns and different types of data lives within each of the columns. Like, you know, you might have a username and then, or like a user ID and then, you know, a birthday and then how many posts they have on a social media or something like that. And you can query by the data that's within those cells. And so it allows you to build much more data intensive and complex applications. And the language with which you query and sift through all that data is SQL or pronounced SQL. So we are sort of taking this traditional database format that is very, very prevalent in Web 2, and we're bringing it to Web 3 so that now, one, it's much, much easier for developers to build data intensive apps and protocols in Web 3. But two, they can build just much more complex. Like it's not just like an ease of use thing. It expands the range of what was previously possible. So currently, what do they have to do in Web3 that's kind of different than the traditional Web2? Yeah, so I think, you know, the problem that this solves and why this is necessary right now is mostly due to the growth and the movements that Web3 has made in the last year. So, you know, previous to the last year, Web3 has been mostly synonymous with DeFi. You know, 99% of Web3 was DeFi. But now we're seeing decentralized social, decentralized gaming, decentralized science. We're seeing all these new sectors of Web3 pop up. And traditionally, these are all very data intensive sectors and they have you know, very complex requirements for their data. And so a go to example I use a lot is uh, decentralized social, which we actually started out as a decentralized social platform. And QuillDB was the database that we made for that. But so starting out with social, this is just like a very, very basic example. But this has probably been our single largest point of traction so far um, is decentralized social graphs. So, you know, for example, let's say you're making a protocol where you can follow and unfollow people on this protocol. There is no way for you to build that in a truly decentralized way right now. Like you can't make those follower relationships right now. But with Quill, what you can do is you can define a table where you have a follower and who they're following. You can then set a function for who can interact with this and how they can. Just it's like very, very similar to a smart contract. And we're even looking at a supporting solidity for being able to do this. So it's very, very similar to a smart contract where you can just like deploy how people are able to interact with it. And then anybody can just permissionlessly, you know, call it and plug into that database. Um, but now you're making a data structure where you have follower relationships. And so, you know, this is just sort of like a very easy and very like, a, yeah, I guess like relatively easy to understand example of why a decentralized database would be important. So basically right now, it just doesn't have the ability to actually perform those tasks, right? And that's why we need to be able to utilize Quill moving forward. 
Yeah, I mean, so something like, you know, Ethereum or any sort of like smart contract system, it could not support relationships like that. And then, you know, something like Arweave or Filecoin, you could maybe support relationships like that, but the issue is that you can't query them. Um, there's no way for you to go, all right, give me everybody that Joe is following or give me everybody who follows Joe, right? There's no way for you to do that on Arweave, on Filecoin, on Ethereum, but you can do it in just a few word statement using SQL. And so it's really, really easy for you to pull that data as opposed to right now, it's just not really possible. Got it. And let's break down maybe one or two more great use cases that would relate to people's typical everyday activity that might be listening. Yeah. So, I mean, one of my personal favorite ones, and this is something that, you know, we are really trying to drive right now internally, but it's decentralized science. Are, are you familiar with like the replication crisis? So uh, the replication crisis, it's, so it has to do with like research funding and how research funding is structured. So, you know, researchers, they only get funding if they're doing novel research and new research, but critical to the scientific method is being able to reproduce results and, you know, verify past results. And we're now finding out that a lot of studies that have been like pretty defining that we've been relying on for even decades at this point, we're now coming out that when people try to replicate them, they fully can't. And it's based on almost faulty premises, but researchers are not incentivized to replicate studies. This is like one of the biggest things that decentralized science is trying to solve, but critical to decentralized science trying to solve that is having an open and composable way to store and query this data. So there's a project we're working with. They're still sort of like in a stealth mode, so I don't want to say their name, yep. uh, but they're, they're killing it right now. And they are solving exactly this, where they're trying to incentivize research replication and they're using Quill as that data storage layer so that researchers can permissionlessly publish, but then also replicate on studies that are on this platform. Um, and so you know that, I would say, is probably, uh, the, aside from social, like the one that I'm second most excited about. And then a third one, this is like a bit less concerning for like, uh, you know, like an individual user, but it has like a lot of B2B applications, which is like decentralized analytics, quite a few different projects we're working with right now. They're doing different types of decentralized analytics. Uh, like there's one for uh, consumer price index and like, uh, you know, tracking inflation for smart contracts. There's another one for like a generalized blockchain analytics. We're working with, you know, a couple of these different firms now. Happy to sort of like jump into more details there, but it gets to a bit more of like the B2B side of things. Got it. And so like, I guess, yeah, break that down. Like why do people need decentralized analytics? Yeah. So, I mean, decentralized analytics, like Chainlink, you know, they're getting, you know, off-chain data on-chain. And so right now with Chainlink, all of the data actually gets read from, you know, just entirely centralized oracles that you you have to trust that they're giving you the right data. And there's a reputation system, but it's not like a... Like there's actually been instances in which this reputation system has not been enough. It has shown to have like uh, failed or to have given like slightly improper results. And so uh, one of the projects that we're working very, very closely with are called Space and Time. They're developing a data warehouse where you can have these massive, like several petabyte data sets. And they have developed this novel cryptographic proof for when you're querying data from this data warehouse, you know that you're getting the right result. You don't have to have like the data beforehand for you to know that they executed this query on the correct piece of data. And so this is why you would want to have decentralized analytics, because you actually get a much higher level of trust when you are implementing these different types of cryptographic proofs that they're implementing. And then why decentralized storage is so important for that, they are now able to aggregate across a ton of different data sets and permissionlessly. You know, it's not like they're pulling from some API and then, you know, at some point in the future, it goes down or they restrict access. When you are pulling data from a decentralized database, it fundamentally changes the risk calculation because you know with 100% certainty that that data is not going anywhere. Do you think uh, a lot of 
sectors, we'll call them, do need to kind of utilize that centralized services, at least to bridge the gap for the next five or 10 years as, you know, things kind of move on chain? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's definitely a, a rolling process. You know, it's not going to happen overnight. It's progressive decentralization. But I think, and this is really based on what I've, you know, seen really just in the last like six months with some of the projects started working with. Projects, you know, they're progressively decentralizing, but they're starting with certain parts of their stack decentralized, and it's the parts that really matter. You know, you only need to be as decentralized as like you want the benefit to be. You know, for example, you can you can make trade-offs for centralization for things like higher efficiency, but then lower security. And so projects, they're really pinpointing, why do I need to be decentralized? What am I trying to gain from this? Let's decentralize that first, and we'll progressively decentralize everything else later so that we can start reaping the benefits now. So how do you guys actually help these, what we'll call them Web2 companies, kind of migrate into Web3? And what do you do along the journey there for them? We really aren't targeting too much of Web2 companies. There are a couple enterprise customers that we talk to and are like seriously interested in using us. But by and large, we see the use case for this being with mostly Web3 native companies, at least right now, that's what we see. And I think I would definitely draw this to Ethereum, for example. You know, Ethereum launched, you know, it's been around for I think like seven years now. And there aren't any major enterprise players in Web2 that are coming and you know, building on top of Ethereum. You know, there might be a couple, but by and large, Ethereum's growth has been in creating an entirely new sector and creating entirely new things. For example, a company like Twitter, they would not benefit from having you know, open data such as like what QuillDB provides. An open decentralized database, just like how an open decentralized ledger like Ethereum, it fundamentally changes the, uh, the incentives for what is being built on top of it. And so a lot of the use cases, I think, are you know being developed on it right now, as opposed to us trying to find Web2 businesses to come and use the solution. It's interesting. And do you think, uh, you know, what comes to mind, obviously seeing the last few weeks in the markets, right, with Tornado Cash and these different events is, you know, does everyone realize exactly kind of how everything's being built out in the open, you know, when it comes to all this different data? Do you think we're making any mistakes along the way when it comes to privacy? I think one of the biggest things about Web3 that even though it is so open, most things in Web3 are like, you know, totally open for everyone to see. There is still a very, very heavy emphasis on privacy. You know, we see protocol. I mean, you know, Tornado Cash is a great example. We see Lit Protocol. And then even uh, actually the Space and Time Project I was talking to you about, they actually encrypt the data going into QuillDB. And so even though, you know, decentralization means that, you know, it's a public ledger and everybody can see it, there's still this extremely strong emphasis on privacy, really more than you see in a lot of Web2 companies. And so that's actually been one of the most surprising things for me now that I've become like, you know, pretty acquainted and been in Web3 for, I guess, almost two years now, is that despite it being totally open, there is an extremely strong emphasis on privacy. Yeah, I agree. So, and you mentioned being in a couple of years. So who's driving this quill and, you know, a little bit about your background and what kind of prompted the start of it? Yeah. So, I mean, I started developing it for fun. So I'm... Uh, I'm a college dropout. I'm the youngest member of the Quill team. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, it started for me uh, during COVID. So, you know, my university went online. And so I took a gap year. I had like a, you know, full-time internship. Um, and I would just start developing this in my free time. And it also actually started as a decentralized social media built on top of Arweave. Just started developing it for fun. The Arweave team invited me to speak at their conference. And so I spoke at the conference, went pretty well. And then a couple angels, like, you know, they offered, you know, they were like, hey, you know, we really like what you're doing. We'd love to do like an angel investment. And so at that point, I was like, all right, I guess I'll just sort of take the summer or take like, you know, the spring and summer, see if I can build anything with this, you know, hire a couple other people to join me. And, you know, if it goes well, maybe I'll just take another, you know, some more time off school. It did end up going really well. And then, you know, we started getting some traction on it. And really the niche we were finding, we'd sort of found our way into this, but it was uh, like 
DAO communication, Discord for DAOs almost. And so that was really what we were originally building. And it was when we were talking to a DAO, they were building an NFT art gallery that, uh, so we were trying to get them to use our, our social platform for their DAO communication. We were essentially competing with Discord in this. And, you know, we're just not, we're not going to win that fight. You know, we didn't have as much money, as much resources, as much experience as Discord. We're not going to win that. Um, but they were walking me through their stack and how their NFT art gallery worked. And I was really curious on how they stored their data. And they sort of walked me through it. And they told me that it was on AWS. And so I asked them, you know, why haven't you looked at like things like Arweave or Filecoin? And it's because it didn't have like the data complexity, the data storage complexity and the query complexity that they needed. They looked at it and it just didn't work for their solutions. And so I was like, well, you know, we built this layer two on top of Arweave for our own social media. Would you guys be interested in trying this out? And that was the first time that QuillDB became a standalone product. And that was actually only like seven or eight months ago. Um, so most of my time in Web3 has actually been in building the social and not in building QuillDB. But QuillDB has you know, been there sort of the whole way. It just has not been a standalone product. So basically, that was the moment was like the light bulb went on and this is something the market needs. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's funny. We were, we were trying really hard and we were, we were in like a, a closed beta, but we we're trying to work with like five to seven DAOs to you know, be our first, our first users. And we were really scrapping for DAOs and it was hard. And then when we had this standalone QuillDB product, we now had projects and pretty large projects coming and finding us trying to use it because there was just no other solution like it. And so, yeah, it was really like, a, okay, we should do this instead because it's a lot more valuable. It's definitely a lot of attempts over the last four or five years when it comes to social media. What are the, what are the biggest obstacles and why, why are we not progressing there? So are you familiar with uh, Nikita Beer? His specialty is creating like consumer facing social. He was I mean, he worked at Facebook for a very long time. Um, he's founded, I think, like two different successful social apps at this point. So he's like has a really, really good take on this, which is that part of a social app is just pure luck. And like, you know, luck plays into everything, but it's particularly strong with the social app because of the social app, it needs to be adopted by like a, an extremely large community, like, you know, even an entire, an entire culture. And so a prevalent social app is a cultural black swan event. Like it just, it happens every five or 10 years. And so even if you do everything right, there still is a very, very good chance that you're just not going to get lucky enough for it to catch on. And so at, at least for us, that was sort of like, uh, that was one of our biggest concerns going into building, you know, a consumer facing social. And whether or not it was because we didn't find that black swan event or something else, we ended up just sort of uh, pivoting out of it because yeah, it was, uh, it's definitely very, very competitive, very, very red ocean. Awesome. And so how many members do you have of the team now? Yeah, so the team is really small, sort of four right now, but we just got off of a pretty large fundraise very, very recently. I mean, we like are actually just getting the last of the money in the bank right now. And so we are scaling up. Uh, we're actually, we're offering a position today. We're pretty sure we'll take it. So we'll hopefully be at five members after today. We're trying to scale up the team right now, but at the same time, you know, make sure that we're not growing too fast. We're advised to raise for a three-year run rate. And so that's what we're doing. But yeah. Four right now will hopefully be five in the next you know couple hours and then yeah growing from there have you guys announced uh your investors that have come into the recent round yet we haven't publicly like announced it. it it is on our on our like informational site though and so i mean you can go check it out there but like some of the highlights so the round it was co-led by blockchain and then ftx we had dcg in there we had ali corp which so the the founder of mongodb is also the founder of ali corp and so, you know, we have Alicorp in there. 7X is another one that's pretty large, as well as three different clients of Quill are also in the round. Um, and then like some, you know, more strategic partners as well. 
That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, right now, definitely got to have a runway for the next couple of years because we don't know what's going to happen in the market, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very uncertain. Very uncertain. All right. So how does Arweave also play into your project? Yeah. So Arweave serves as, I call it a permanent state tracking layer, but I can sort of like break that down. So you have this SQL database and it's a table. And so we'll just stick with the follower example. You know, let's say you have a table and it's tracking, you know, who is following who in a social media. You know, you might go and unfollow someone and it will now delete that record from the table. On Arweave, you can now go and see when you followed that person and when you unfollowed that person. You can go and see when all of these changes occurred and why this is so important is because in Web3, like you know, in, in Ethereum, for example, you can go back and you can trace every transaction that's ever happened and every change that's ever happened to the blockchain. And if you want, you can choose to fork it at any point in time. Now, we don't really see this with something like Ethereum because like the whole point is that you, know, you don't have to fork it and that you know, everyone's working on the same ledger. But for something like a community-owned social app where you know, let's say the developers of the app make some sort of change to it and the community broadly does not agree with that, they can now fork that data at some point in time, which means they can go back, they can find it on Arweave, the exact point in time where they want to split off. And they can just take the database from there, they copy it over to their separate CoolDB instance, and now it's running from there. And so where Arweave really plays in for us is, I mean, one guaranteed data storage, just making sure this data is always replicated. More valuable than that is making sure that communities, if they have some sort of disagreement, that they can go back and they can fork that data so they always have like true ownership and true control over the data on their platform. How dependent are you on Arweave right now? So our data does go to Arweave. So Arweave, it's not like it's a necessary part of the stack in that like, you know, if you unplugged Arweave, the system would still be able to work. But I would probably say like 95, 97% of the projects we work with, having that permanent history of the evolution of their database is very, very important to them. And so in that way, like, even though it's technically not like, a hard, hard requirement it is a hard requirement for our customers. Now, we do have a very small set of customers, and in particular, some of the analytics customers, where you know they're storing petabytes of data, and storing on Arweave would be very, very expensive. It costs you know between five and eight dollars per gigabyte, and so you know storing petabytes of data that would just be massively expensive. And so for them, in particular, space and time, we're actually building with space and time our own guaranteed data replication algorithm, so that they don't have to pay to store all that data on Arweave, but for most of our clients, Arweave is a must-have. That's cool. What other features does Arweave have that benefits Quill? Yeah, I mean, aside from just like the permanent data storage itself, I would say the really, really strong ecosystem. When we are plugging into Arweave and we're building on top of Arweave, we now get these atomic NFTs and they just released, or it wasn't Arweave that released it, it was a project called Redstone D5. They just released uh, Warp Smart Contracts. And um, it just brings all this new functionality and all this new scalability to our Weave smart contracts. And, you know, one of the largest use cases for our Weave is for NFTs. And so, you know, when we're building on top of our Weave, we now get this really, really rich ecosystem. So, you know, the Warp smart contracts is an example of one. Second one, Bundler Network. Interacting with our Weave can be a little cumbersome at times or can be, a, you know, it, it can be hard to get AR, especially if you're in like, you know, the US. And so there's Bundler Network, which allows you to submit to our Weave from any chain. So this makes it really, really easy for us to build cross-chain protocols with permanent data storage. Another one, Kive. You know, Kive, they they work with, you know, like Solana, Avalanche, Cosmos. And, you know, essentially what they do is they will take all of that old data being generated by those chains and they just store it on our Weave. But that's really valuable for us because Quill is a blockchain. And so for us, if we want to start backing up the transactional blockchain data on Quill and not just the database data, it's really easy for us to just plug in the Kive and use that. So beyond just the permanent data storage, 
the community and the immense amount of innovation that's built on top of Arweave is also really, really valuable. Are you guys a fully decentralized project? How are you guys structured? Yeah, so I mean, we are a, a company right now, like we're, we're fully in person. Three of us actually live at the office. So, you know, it's very like small team startup vibe. But then our goal is to be, you know, like fully decentralized in the same way that, you know, Ethereum is fully decentralized. Like there probably have to be a foundation running at the core of this, helping for, you know, at least the next 20, 30, you know, 40 years. But our goal is that, you know, this can run as a protocol and not as like an ever-changing product, just like the long-term vision of Ethereum or really what Bitcoin has achieved. But, you know, right now, since it is, you know, relatively early days, we are a company that's, you know, in the office every day. So is there any plans on the roadmap for a token of sort? Yeah, yeah. So there will be a Quill token. So we're in a test net right now. And so we haven't, you know, publicly launched a Quill token. You know, right now, the most important thing for us is that we have TGE at the right time. And when we say right time, we don't mean right market timing, but right product timing. You know, is launching our token right now going to be the best thing for our product? Is that going to help usage of the Quill database? And right now, with us being a testnet, it probably is not the best time for that. And so we have not launched a token yet. We're tentatively looking at still probably a year out from some sort of like TGE, but that could be six months, that could be two years. It really just depends on when does it make the most sense for driving value to Quill DB into the Quill community for us to launch a token. Do you think most projects launch their token a little bit too early before their product is kind of established? Yeah, um, I, I'm not sure if I have the authority to say whether or not projects do it right. You know, <laughs> maybe we're the ones doing it wrong. But, you know, my internal philosophy is like we have had some investors say like, hey, you know, you should really try to launch your token sooner. We even had some investors saying like you should launch your token in January. And this was like this was actually pre testnet for Quill and they want us to launch a token. And so I, I think there's there's varying trends of thought on it. Now, whether or not we are the ones who are correct or whether or not we should have launched our token earlier in a bull market, I guess we'll find out. But obviously, we think we're correct. So what else is up next on the roadmap for the next 12 to 24 months? What are you guys trying to achieve? Yeah, so we're launching uh, what we call tables as a protocol. And so I guess for me to sort of explain this, it would help to draw parallels to Ethereum. And so, you know, Ethereum, what you had was a platform where you could come, you could make your own ledger with its own programmable logic, its own special logic, you could deploy it. And now anybody can interact with this ledger as a protocol. And so we were taking that exact same idea, but we're taking it to SQL tables. So now you as a developer, you could come, you could structure your tables, you know, define all the rows, the columns, the relationships. Um, you can define all of that. You can then define, they're called parameterized queries, but essentially it's how people are able to interact with it. Like for example, the social media, you know, follower example. Uh, you would define one where you have the person calling it and then who they want to follow. They would call that and then it would create that follower relationship. Um, but so we are creating, right now we're calling them smart DBs. I think we're going to change the name because it's too similar to smart contracts where people, they can just deploy the table as a protocol and now anybody can permissionlessly plug into it. So essentially the same thing that Ethereum brought to ledgers, but bringing it to SQL, you know, SQL tables. Um, so that's, I think the very first thing on a roadmap, like that's the thing that we spend all day developing right now. And we're looking at a test implementation of that, I'm hoping in three weeks. And then moving a bit farther from that is what's called multi-model databases. So right now we are SQL databases, but there are other types of databases. There's NoSQL databases, there's graph databases, document databases. And at its core, Quill is a data synchronicity protocol. Like whether it's a SQL database or a graph database or a document database, it doesn't really matter to the protocol itself. And so expanding on what can be built on Quill by expanding Quill itself. So, you know, it no longer being a SQL database, but also being a graph database, also being document based, 
And so that I would say after tables as a protocol, that's the next thing on our roadmap. And it's also the second most requested feature we have by customers. And when it comes to tables as protocol, what do you see as the best use case or the potential customer? Yeah, I mean, so potential customer, I know I've said this example like you know, several times at this point, but the, the social graph, and part of that is because of the growth of decentralized social, but that is the one that we're seeing the like far and away the most traction on right now. I mean, literally this morning, we had another really, really cool project coming to us looking to use Quill for exactly this purpose. And the two reasons we've seen this, one, because of the growth of decentralized social, but two, this functionality is so critical to a social application, and it's fully impossible to build in Web3 right now. There is no other way to build this besides Quill. And so that is where, I mean, it's certainly our largest driver of, of traction right now. So maybe that'll lead to like, what do you see as maybe what would be the best strategic partnerships for Quill? Yeah. So, uh, oh man, we have some pretty solid strategic partnerships right now. Like, I mean, Mask Network, uh, if you're familiar with them, we're also being in the process of working you know, with CyberConnect. You know, we're speaking with their engineering team quite a bit because they have the exact same problem. RSS3 as well. You know, a lot of like the large players in decentralized social, those are the strategic partnerships that we are trying to target. And I would say we are very successfully targeting right now. And then anything you'd like to leave off or any other aspects of what you guys are doing, you'd like to leave for the listeners to at least maybe go check out, plug into, get to know more? Yeah. Um, you know, I would say, uh, I'm assuming this is an airing for a few weeks. Um, and so at that point, we should have our beta. We're still deciding whether it'd be open or closed, but um, you know, even if it's closed, you know, definitely hit us up because we will be looking for beta testers. And so, yeah, if you're a developer or you know people that are developers that are very interested in, you know, not just building in Web3, but building as a part of the new paradigm, you know, data intensive applications, building in these new sectors that are not DeFi, come find us. We're here to build with you. You know, we're here to help you, you know, both financially, idea wise, helping you connect with, you know, investors, team members, users. And so, yeah, if you're building interesting things in Web3 or if you're interested in building in the new sectors of Web3 that we are actively trying to enable, come find us so we can build it together. And where is that? What website? Twitter? Where? Yeah, so Twitter, it's Quill Team, K-W-I-L Team. Our website's quill.com, just K-W-I-L.com. Pretty easy to find. I'm Brett and Lamy on Twitter. You can also just DM me on there and I'll hopefully respond pretty quickly. Quill.com is probably the easiest way. We have all of our contact info in there, Discord, Twitter, email, stuff like that. All right, Brandon. Well, I appreciate coming out today. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate having me.